Christmas who's bought presents? Some people, some people. Um, I wonder what, what presents you probably most hate to receive at Christmas, you most don't want to hope for. I've been doing some thinking and reflecting um, because my family tends to cancel our Christmas present gatherings because we find out that we end up just um, messaging through to everybody saying, hey, can I have this, this, and this, and this, and we send it through. We send through our Christmas lists, hoping that somebody will buy something on the list that we actually need and want. So we, um, we tend to kind of cancel Christmas, Christmas gifts and gatherings year after year, and there's pushback each year. Some people saying, oh, I really want a present, and some people saying, oh, I really don't want presents. And it, it made me think a bit about what we hope for, uh, what we hope for, because we tend to not hope for things that we already have or things that we don't need. And as we come to the passage today, I think that we live in a very blessed area of the world where we've got jobs, where our homes are safe, and it's hard to look at a passage like this and think, I really, really want this. Uh, But I hope today as we look through it that we'll see that we deeply need this, that these promises are so good and so worth it. Let me pray as we have a look. Uh, Heavenly Father, we ask that you would give us the joy of, of knowing that you love us and that you've promised amazing things for your people. Uh, please bless us with hearts to hear and listen now. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, so we've come to the, the end of the opening chapters of Isaiah, chapter 11 and 12, our opening little series on it. And we're finishing with the hope that God's people have to look forward to today. And we'll hear that there's hope for God's people and that that hope is centered around the promise of a king. We'll hear today that the king will turn the kingdom upside down and the king gathers his and unites his God's people. So the king will turn the kingdom upside down and the king gathers and unites God's people. So firstly, there's hope for the people of God because the king will turn the kingdom upside down. Now, the kingdom of Israel at this time is in a really, really bad state. At the start of Isaiah, we read that Israel has abandoned the Lord. Uh, They've turned away from him. They've persisted in ignoring him, in sinning. And uh, Isaiah describes Israel like a tree that is about to be burned up and cut down to a stump. And I just think that that is an amazingly terrifying image. Can you imagine if God said one day, New South Wales or Australia is like a tree and it's about to be burnt down to its stump. And I think we've got an image here of the 2019 bushfires. No, we don't have an image. We don't have an image. Um, but I, I wonder if you can remember some of the images that came out around 2019 and you just saw the, the devastation and how just entire areas of land were just gone. And that's the sort of image that Isaiah says is coming for Israel. It's going to be devastating. It's going to be gone. You were this big, wonderful tree and you're now going to be burnt to a crisp and be a stump. It's terrifying. Uh, But it's surprising then that quite soon after that, uh, a shoot rises and a branch forms out of a stump. Now, the branch symbolizes a man. A branch from his roots will bear fruit. It's a person. Where does this man come from? It's not out of the stump of Israel. The stump here is now Jesse. And this is a new image. It tells us something new about the king. Jesse is where the shoot comes from. The roots of Jesse are the source 
for this branch, for this shoot. So who, who, is, the, who is the shoot? Now, for the original readers, the name Jesse had a really big significance. Jesse, in the Bible, is the father of King David. So the shoot will actually be like David. David was the best king that Israel ever had. He had a sincerity and a, and a genuineness to his faith. He really longed to please God in his heart. And David was famously promised by God that a king would come from his line who would rule on the throne forever. So God is saying that this shoot that comes out of the stump, this guy is going to be good. He's going to be a good king. He'll be like the best king that Israel's ever had so far. The next verse tells us more about this king. There's more to it. Uh, the Spirit of the Lord will rest on the king. The word rest here is about uh, presence and permanence. The Spirit will be with the king, on the king. Uh, Israel has always been called to listen to God's will, to obey his commands. Uh, and the way that that would work is the prophets would speak to the king and say, Your Majesty, here's what the Lord says. Uh, and also the kings were meant to have a book, the book of the law, uh, the scriptures that they would read daily. So the idea is, is that the king's heart hears the word of God from the prophets, it reads the word of God from the law, and then they were meant to obey and follow God and then lead the kingdom in that. But the problem is, the problem is the king's heart. Sometimes the king refused, flat out refused to listen to the prophets. And the kings often refused to listen to God's word as well. Uh, many of the kings actually even built idols for people to bow down to, um, false idols, and some of them even built them in the temple itself. So the king could say, uh, you know, kind of go rogue, not listen to God, not listen to the prophets, and say, I'll make my own decisions. Uh, but this king, the promised king here, won't be like that. The Spirit of the Lord is resting on him. He won't ignore God. He won't turn away from God. God's very own spirit will direct him and guide him so he won't go astray. Right at the source of the king, the God, God will be there. So what will this king be like? He's a person of integrity. His delight will be in the fear of the Lord, in the reverence of God. Having the spirit of God means that this king will be capable of making decisions that directly honor God. So, so far we've heard this king will be like David. We've also heard that the king will have the Spirit of God resting on him. And this tells us that this king will actually have the ability to please God. He'll have the tools to be able to do it. He'll be able to turn his kingdom upside down. Uh, the next few verses show us the impact the king will bring to the people. What will it be like to live under this king in this turnaround kingdom? Uh, and there's two things here. Firstly, there'll be justice. Uh, have a look at verses 3 to 5. The king will judge perfectly. He won't judge by what is seen or heard, but will judge by what is right. The poor will be judged righteously, the oppressed will receive justice, and the wicked will receive a fair judgment. Now, this is actually a throwback to Isaiah chapter 1. At, at the time of Isaiah 1, God says, your rulers are rebels, your friends of thieves, they all love graft, they chase after bribes, they do not defend the rights of the fatherless, and the widow's case never comes before them. Israel has been a place of deep injustice, where the poor don't receive, judge, don't receive justice, 
in a place where rebels and thieves fight to secure their ongoing power and made sure that justice didn't happen. This king, this coming king, will actually turn this upside down. He will deliver true justice. Now, when it says he won't judge by his eyes or ears, it means that the king will judge by what is right. He'll be able to know the truth in any given matter, and he'll be able to give justice, not by what's presented to a court, but by what's true and what's fair. The poor and oppressed will receive justice. The wicked will receive fair punishment. So this is one way the king will turn the kingdom around. He will judge fairly. And another way that the kingdom will be turned around is its safety and security. And we see this in the, in the next section. Um, Isaiah describes these sort of, we might find the bizarre animal pairings that we might never see in life. Uh, and they're playing and they're safe and it's, they're just enjoying life together. Uh, things that we would never imagine seeing, like um, the cow and the bear will graze. Their young ones will lie down together and the lion will eat straw like the ox. Uh, and this one, this is the one that terrifies me. An infant will play beside the cobra's pit and a toddler will put his hand into a snake's den. Doesn't this image terrify you? It scares me half to death. I can't read this without imagining a parent there going, no, don't do it. Don't put your hand in there. Um, but this, in this picture, the picture that's displayed here is just uh, there's silence. There's this, yeah, the toddler will do it. Mm, he'll be fine. No worries. Chill. Uh, this picture, there's no fear. There's no concern of danger. There's no worry. There's no, no concern that anything could even come to harm you. There is complete safety in the entirety of the land. How could such a place happen? How could this be? The king has brought true justice to the land. But also... In verse 9, we read, None will harm or destroy another on my entire mountain. And here's the reason. So he gives the reason why. For the land will be as full of the knowledge of the Lord as the sea is filled with water. The sea is absolutely filled with water, isn't it? Like there's there's no ifs or buts to it. The reason there's no fear that no one will harm you here is because everyone knows God. The land is full of the knowledge of God as the sea is filled with water. The king has made sure everyone in this place knows God, loves God, lives by the knowledge of the Lord. Now let's pause a moment to consider what this place would actually be like. Is this a place worth hoping for? This is a place where the king truly pleases God. The king isn't worried about power struggles. He doesn't need to make random election promises. He doesn't need to try to secure his own power or wealth. He's got God's spirit resting on him. He has the wisdom, counsel and understanding and strength of God to lead by conviction and to do what is right in every circumstance. Wouldn't that sort of a government be incredible? And amazing. He will perfectly judge. There won't be any more court cases where the guilt is uncertain, where juries are like, hmm, I don't know whether this person's guilty or not. There won't be any more court cases where people get it wrong and we release them after 20 years because we've found new evidence. There won't be injustice. There won't be confusion about who's done what. He said that, she said that. There'll be none of that. 
And there will be true peace and security in this land. There's no fear of what a dangerous animal might do. There's no fear in this place. This is a place of complete and total safety. Uh, Imagine, imagine if women and children would be safe to walk around the streets at night. No worry. No fear of any danger coming to them. This sounds, it sounds to me, like a truly amazing and wonderful place. The king will really turn this kingdom upside down. He'll provide good leadership for the people, and and he'll also um, draw the people of God together and bring unity. Uh, The main image used to show that the king will gather people uh, is a banner. Isaiah 11 verse 10 says, On that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will seek him, and his resting place will be glorious. He will lift up a banner for the nations and gather the dispersed of Israel. He will collect the scattered of Judah from the four corners of the earth. Now, in the, in the days that this was written, banners were most often seen in the military. You would have a different um, uh, symbol on your banner, and you would have a banner that was assigned to you. And when you were traveling from place to place, you would look for the insignia, the symbol, whatever that belonged to you, and you'd go, oh, that's my camp over there. I'm going that way. And that was where you would lay down and rest. And this is the same way that it's been used in this passage. The idea of a banner is that it would draw the people The people would see the banner and go, that's my resting place. That's where I need to go. Uh, Now, what is the banner? Firstly, the banner is the king himself. Verse 10, right? He will stand as a banner. So he'll stand up and people will see the king and come to him. Uh, But also, verse 12, uh, the king will lift up a banner, raise it so it can be seen. Uh, Now, who will the king gather? Uh, From this passage, we've got the people of the nations, Later, he calls it the remnant. The remnant is those among um, the people of God at the time who sought God. Uh, But it's also Judah and Israel. Now, when Israel was split in two, into two kingdoms, the north was called Israel, um, sometimes nicknamed Ephraim, and the south was called Judah. And when Israel, when Isaiah first prophesied this, it's not actually long until Israel in the north is taken into captivity by Assyria. And they're actually pretty much gone forever from that point. There's not many that can trace their heritage back to the Israel that was. They never really return. And it's not long after that that Babylon comes down and conquers the whole territory down the bottom of Judah and takes Judah back into exile in Babylon. So to hear one day that the king will draw them home must be an incredible hope for them that the king will draw back the north and the south that are taken off into exile. Uh, now, our passage says that the king will supernaturally dry up waters so that they can walk through. And the point of that is that nothing will stop God's people from returning and coming home. The king will gather. The king will also unite. There's a few lines in our reading that, that might have struck a chord with recent events in Gaza. Uh, But this is actually more about unity and safety than military conquest. Uh, The point is that there will be peace between Ephraim, north Israel, and Judah in the south. They won't be envious or harass each other. It says they will extend to the east and the west. Uh, Now, it doesn't say murder here, but it does say they will extend their territory together and they'll have power over their neighbours. Now, these nations that it's talking about here, mentioned here, 
um, these nations would constantly attack Israel and harass them in the past. In this passage, this passage is actually all about peace and unity. Uh, so it's saying that they won't actually attack Israel anymore, that they'll be subdued, they won't, they won't cause any problems anymore. Uh, so what have we heard about this king? The hope for God's Israel, uh, for God's people. Uh, we've heard that he will be like David. He will have the spirit of God resting on him. He will give true justice and peace. He will gather his people and he will also unite them and make peace with them together. This sounds pretty incredible and pretty amazing. Now, who is the king? If you've been around churches for a while, you've probably guessed. Uh, It can only be a few people and it's Jesus. Jesus comes from David's line. The spirit of God rests on him. He gives true justice and peace. He exposes people's hearts. The banner that he lifts up is himself on the cross and he is gathering and uniting his people. So this passage has actually, much of this passage has been fulfilled. We are a part of the nations that are being drawn to Jesus through his banner, the cross. We are included in these amazing promises through Jesus. Jesus says in our, um, in our first reading today, the water I give him will become a well of water springing up within him for eternal life. He says this to the woman at the well. Whoever drinks from the water I give will um, have the water spring up within him for eternal life. And in chapter 12, the people drawn to the king, what will they do? Verse 3, they will joyfully draw water from the springs of salvation. They're drawing water from Jesus. And on that day, they will say, I praise you, Lord. Although you are angry with me, your anger has turned away and you have had compassion on me. Indeed, God is my salvation. I will trust him and not be afraid. For Yah, the Lord, is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. On the cross, Jesus turned away God's anger. He took it all in himself so that God's people could be forgiven. They could receive salvation and they can return to him. Now, this passage, 11 and 12, has not been completely fulfilled. It's been partially fulfilled right now. So we don't yet live in a place where we have complete justice. We don't yet live in a place where we have complete peace and safety. But those promises will be fulfilled when Jesus returns. But for now, what's a proper response to these promises? To what God has done and is doing through Jesus? I reckon it's praise. It's a joyful, thankful heart. And it's telling others. That's what chapter 12 is all about. Uh, Let's have a quick think through. What what are some ways we can do this today? Could be praise. Praising God in song. Maybe with a bit of extra vigor as you remember the promises and what we have in Jesus. Sometimes as we sing, we can just sing like we're just going through the motions, just singing along. But remember to praise God with your heart as you sing. Inside as well as outside. Maybe with a bit more passion. Uh, A joyful, thankful heart could be that you sit down today and you list three reasons why you're thankful for what Jesus has done for you, Uh, or three things that you look forward to about the kingdom that God's promised. It could be, um, these are my things, I'm thankful that God sent Jesus, I'm thankful for forgiveness, 
and I'm thankful for safety and peace in the kingdom we can look forward to. Uh, And lastly, telling others. And it doesn't need to be someone who doesn't know the news. It could be someone that already knows the news and you're just sharing it with joy. It could be that you tell a child or a spouse. You could say, I'm just really grateful today that Jesus is my king. And I'm really looking forward to the day that we can see him face to face and see all of these promises come to fulfillment. Uh, We've heard today that the coming kingdom is so good. The king is like the best king of Israel. He rules with God's wisdom and true justice. He brings true peace and safety because the land is filled with the knowledge of God. He gathers and unites God's people. And the right response is praise, joyful, thankful hearts, and telling others. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for these wonderful promises that you've given us in Jesus. We ask that we would recognize how great and wonderful they are, and we ask that we would be our hope. We look forward to the day that we will be with you when we will say, we will praise you, Lord, although you are angry with us, your anger has turned away, and you have had compassion on us. Indeed, you are our salvation. We will trust in you and not be afraid. May you be our strength and song because you have become our salvation. Amen.